Poesis on ESAD Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gerigal land of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and I pay my respect to the elders past, present, and yet to come. and I have just returned from what has been a very impressive Samantha Festival, a contemporary art biennial that takes place in Kendos, New South Wales, and includes visual art, multi-sensory installations, performances, community actions, music events, and a sound night. And yesterday morning, on the festival's final day, I sat down with Leah Smith, in the Candace Scout Hall to record a conversation about her project Future School, which was developed with Year 3 to Year 6 students at the Candace Public School. Future School is a response to the shift from traditional classroom that emerged during the pandemic. Through a series of workshops and conversations, Leah and her collaborators engaged in a creative reimagining of what schools could become based on what they have experienced them to be during the period of homeschooling. What is more, Future School provides a framework on how to work with young people so their voices and opinions are heard, valued and incorporated into the decision-making processes. It is a project that builds and develops young people's confidence questions the hierarchies of knowledge and the function of the school within the community. Scout Hall, where Leah and I sat yesterday morning to record our conversation, was a venue where some of the documentation and ephemera from this project, Future School, were gathered and exhibited as part of the Samantha Festival. The Future School installation included sound, video, objects and a manifesto. And the later two, the objects and the manifesto, were brought to life on Saturday, 20th of May, when the Future School was performed to the audience. The performance culminated in a circle-style conversation between the children and the audience, where young people asked eight simple, yet as it appeared, complex questions to the adults, including, why can't we eat when we are hungry? And how can rest be incorporated into schooling? This and other questions were then answered by the adults, followed by a back and front dialogue between them and the young people. 
And what was created was a decentralized exchange of knowledge and a space for an equitable conversation where age became irrelevant and knowledge was held in young and adult hands equally. start with an obvious question and that is how did the idea for the project came to you what sparked it and do you remember the moment when the idea emerged in your head and heart and body mm. um, I mean it's I think it was a bit more organic than that so um, you know I enjoy working with young people um, I was excited by the opportunity to engage with the community through something that is so kind of socially embedded, like mm. Cementa, you know, it felt like a safe and responsible way to do so, as opposed to just coming in cold. Um, I applied through the grant um, process um, to be a part of the exhibition, and initially the project was really started by, um, I guess, a curiosity on the lack of public space here in Candos. Well, that was my experience anyway. So uh, when I was on residency here, I had my dog and I was trying to find someone to take her and there was nowhere to go. And so I was like, oh, this is so ironic that I'm in an, an, a regional town that has a lot of space that I can't access or use or go to mm. because it's all private. Everywhere felt like there was a fence that told me it was private and I couldn't enter. And so then I thought it was interesting to think about the regeneration project that was happening at Charbon Mine. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, this is interesting because this is a site that is embedded with potential. Mm -hmm. So now that we're reimagining the future of that site, if we were talking to young people, what might that become? What does Candos mm -hmm. need? So that's initially where the project was situated. Um, then COVID happened, then the rules around accessing that site became really strict mm -hmm. and we couldn't go anymore. Um, and then I thought, okay, I don't want to, I really, really want to do this project. I don't want to introduce something that is incredibly abstract and new to the group of young people because they've already had enough new things happening to them in the past couple of years. So how can I start from a, a space that they feel confident and comfortable in that they are the experts? Mm -hmm. um, and so... I'd had interesting conversations with other young people that I work with back in Sydney, just around homeschooling, but also with my friends and colleagues around working from home. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. This is a thing that we're all kind of doing at the moment. And we're just naturally reflecting on what we like about it and what we don't like about it. So can we, can we facilitate that in a more um, nuanced way? So that's where the project started. It was like starting from a place that they knew and that they felt comfortable and confident in and then an opportunity to sort of give them permission to um, ask questions. Yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, so the, the conceptual phase was probably the part that I was most involved in. So there's three collaborators on this project, myself, um, my colleague Bonnie Cohen, who's a theatre maker, and um, my partner Ankit Mishra, who's a film producer. And so I worked on the kind of conceptualization process at the beginning that was like, okay, um, we've all done homeschooling, what are some of the things that we enjoyed about it? Um, and then kind of tease some of those narratives out. Uh, Bonnie then transformed those um, things that we actually ended up calling principles um, into gestures that was sort of the foundation for the performance. And then Mish then built upon that through the film. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a, a layered process in yeah. that way. You were speaking about the project having three phases, uh, three parts. But before we go into that, if you could please describe where we are sitting now, what's yeah. in the space around us where we are situated, what are the sounds that we are hearing, that mm -hmm. the listeners are hearing at the moment as we talk. Yeah, so we're at the Candos uh, Scout Hall, um, which is on the edge of town. I mean, I think of it as like the far upper right-hand corner because it's like a grid, so I think in squares. Um, it's interesting because many of the kids have come to scouts here, so they also have a relationship with this site. Um, but... Um, yeah, where we're sitting right now is kind of looking towards the work. I mean, I'm quite distracted by the light, but there's, you know, beautiful um, trees just sitting outside. Um, and I guess here the artwork has a large white outline um, and the performance lives within this um, outline circle. Um, the, the video is sort of situated just outside of the um, installation and I guess we sort of see it as the backdrop for the performance as well. So the performance was situated, as I said, within the circle. There's a, um, a sort of a jute carpet runner that dissects the centre of the circle um, and then there are the props for the performance. So we have two pillows, um, the little prince, the, the book, and on, um, on Kawara, who did, is a Japanese artist who did a project in kindergartens, and the book is called Pure Consciousness. Um, a melon peeler, um, a lambskin rug, a dog collar, and nature that we've sourced from outside. And our timekeeper is a one-minute egg timer and black beans on an aluminium um, plate. We'll come back to the details of this performance in a few minutes. I also just want to mention that the sounds of oh, laughing yeah. are sounds of your collaborator, Bonnie, who is <laughs> talking to one of the visitors yeah. currently to the space. Yeah, you're right. actually the acoustics in this space are pretty phenomenal and not something that we really knew before we came here, but it's been so nice because, um, yeah, the track is quite quite experimental yeah. um, and, and it has like the layering of the um, the children's dialogue in our workshop sessions together as well so the way that that kind of bounces and is thrown around the space is really wonderful. Mm. Is this a space where you workshopped with children while you were developing the work? No we, we workshopped it in the library at the school because um, we actually didn't really know where we were going to be early mm -hmm. on. Uh, we knew that it would be a hall and we knew that we wanted to situate the work in a corner um, but that was all we really knew. And so it was actually, yeah, the first time that they had seen it when they came to the exhibition yesterday mm. to oh. perform. Wow. For the context of the artwork. They, they knew this space through Scouts, but they didn't see it otherwise yeah. yet. So let's just backtrack a tiny bit before we go into the performance. As I mentioned, there are three stages of the piece, of, yeah. the, of the project. Mm. 
Could you talk about those three stages and where does performance that we saw yesterday as part of Samantha Festival fit within those three stages? Mm. Yeah, so I'm... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting talking about them as stages and I probably made them sound quite isolated, but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily how it was developed. So, yeah, I guess the first stage was reflecting on our learnings from homeschooling um, and then kind of note-taking all of that information, which you can see on the walls here in the space as well. So the process of those conversations has also been mapped and displayed. Um, and then, you know, but it was then kind of taking some of those key ideas and seeing how then we could devise them into the principles that the school kind of aspires to, um, I don't know, situate itself within or ground within. Um, And then, you know, we introduced the idea of this performance very early on, but I think one thing that was really wonderful in the development with the the students was to really think a lot about words and language. Mm -hmm. So we would introduce the word performance, we asked them to tell us all the words that come to mind when we think of a performance, And then we wrote them all down and then we started to circle the ones that were applicable to what we would be doing here. Mm -hmm. Because we have, I think we all have um, preconceived ideas of what things look like or what they should be. So if there's a performance, often we understand them as having a beginning, a middle and an end. And there's a narrative Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. none of those things are part of this performance. So it was also about pushing the edges of what those things could Mm -hmm. be or how they could look for young people. Um, So yeah, definitions of those key terms was really important early on. Um, But then yeah, then they would eat, then they found a partner. They were given this um, provocation that, you know, a new kid is arriving to future school and we want to make them feel welcome. And rather than sort of orally sharing our school principles, we're going to think of them as gifts. So if we were to gift kindness to someone, if we were gifting rest to someone, how might we? communicate that through our bodies Mm -hmm. Uh, and we started with the constraints of the hands because we knew that we wanted the kids to be sitting so we didn't want them to think that they had to kind of be moving around space in big large gestural ways so like okay well if we had to talk with our hands how how might we give this idea of rest Mm -hmm. and then you know we allowed them to kind of workshop that themselves in their pairs they kind of then performed it back to Bonnie and I we would then be like oh you know I love what you're doing with your finger there maybe we could repeat that four times Mm -hmm. and then you start to build the rhythm and the choreography of their gesture and movements based on what they're giving to you Mm -hmm. from the inspiration of those initial words Um, and so then that was really how it happened that it was like this really kind of um, generative process of them and, and myself and Bonnie in those early stages just kind of like working and modifying and building upon these um, movements and um, yeah gestures that they were creating Um, and then thinking about the next stage was to think about the movement pattern because it is a very still slow performance um, and that was also quite important to us that we wanted it to feel quite quite focused Um, and slow and to also really challenge this way of um, thinking that is often I guess embedded when adults and children are working together you know and I think I mentioned this in our public program yesterday but there's this idea that children need to be entertained and we need to be performers when we're trying to hold their attention or have get them excited or on board Um, but children are often very slow and quiet you know and, and and we wanted to kind of interact with them in that way so um, 
yeah, modelling that through the performance was a really nice way of keeping a, a really nice centre to mm -hmm. our time spent together. Um, and then, yeah, then Bonnie sort of created the choreography. So when the performance took place, as I said, each, each um, like the children's room, the children were in pairs and the outline um, circle sort of indicated, um, I guess, where they kind of, sorry, that's not very clear. Um, we marked the border of the performance space with a white line because we wanted there to also be larger body movements as well to kind of dissect the fact that everything was quite small and slow. So once they finished gifting their principal, they would then walk to the outline circle and they would follow the choreographed movement that Bonnie had devised and move to their next station to gift their next gesture. Um, and then Mish, our videographer, came in after we had kind of done that first kind of performative workshop. And we, because, so, as we said, so much of the movement was very small, um, we thought that a limit that we would give him was that we wanted the video to really have a focus on close-up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and so that was something that we had decided based on what had come out of our performative process. And then he created the conditions for how he was going to introduce the technology of film to the children to then um, work as an experimental film that would also hold space here when the performance was not happening. Um, and so, yeah, then in that phase we had about six different cameras, um, 360, drone, you know, new, hectic, like you know, contemporary film, but also mm. analog. And that was really new for them because they hadn't looked through like a viewfinder before. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then we kind of gave limitations in terms of things that they might like to shoot in, in their school setting um, that was then edited together by Mish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, I'm really grateful. About the universality of it being across all education levels. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were talking about it yesterday, but I think the nice thing that we were saying that's really come through is like the permission to critique and ask questions. So whether we're revolutionising education is questionable, but are we empowering these children to kind of know that they have a say? I think absolutely, you know, and that their voice matters, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Do you mind this comment that you made being on radio? <laughs> You're just a boring interview. <laughs> no, it's kind of perfect. Yeah, it's totally perfect. If it's audible, if you don't mind me keeping it in. Yeah, it's totally fine. Great. Eastside Radio in Sydney. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, you'll have to listen. Yeah. <laughs> An ear. Thank you. Um, so, um, in this workshop process and through this workshop process, you, you have developed something that you call eight principles, mm. and you made a distinction between it being a principle rather than a rule. Yeah. Could you talk about this importance of not making rules, and how, how is a principle, in your view, different from rule or from becoming a rule eventually? 
Well, we asked the kids to define this for us, actually. So, and they do, and it was quite interesting because um, we already had this in mind, but then when we proposed this as an option for future school, it was something that they were familiar with. Um, and the teacher, Rochelle Canellan, who's amazing and has been so critical to the success of the project, had. Um, had some of the kids in her class the year before and their classroom also had principals and the way that they define it is that you're talking about um, you're advocating for what you want to see rather than what you don't want to see and so it's more affirming behavior as opposed to saying don't run you know um, yeah so shifting the narrative and to sort of say that we don't really see anything as being wrong in this space, but we do have things that we are aspiring to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what were some of the principles that came out yeah. of this process? Um, off the top of my head, I mean, they're over there. I'd love to be able to just read them from there. Bonnie, you reckon you can bring me that paper? <laughs> because I guess the interesting thing that happened was um, there were more than, more than eight, you know? Yeah. Um, so we were also consolidating some of the data that we yeah. were getting from the kids and trying to find ways to express it in more, um, thank you, uh, yeah, more focused ways. Um, so we ended up having 13 in the end, mm -hmm. um, but then because we had eight students and we had this constraint of wanting, you know, the performance to be about this gifting process, then they chose the one that resonated with them. Mm -hmm. So we had eight. Um, but one of our first ones was really funny. Um, I mean, this is our research process, so it's a little bit sprawling, but it's like learning with humans, animals and nature of all ages and backgrounds and in all settings. 20 degrees to 25 degrees Celsius is when they like to be outside um, in the outdoor classroom and um, warm with a cool breeze. Um, knowing the plan was very interesting. So where things are, having a step-by-step -step detailed outline and who you will be with. So that's actually an interesting point really that we had students um, with diverse needs as part of the group. So structure was something that was really important to mm -hmm. some of those students to enable them to feel safe. How did you choose the students that you worked with? Was there a selection from your part of diversity that you wanted to see included or how did no. they, uh, and was it just or eight students you worked with throughout? No, so um, the teacher chose um, and it was interesting because she didn't really talk too much with us about her kind of selection process until maybe halfway through. Um, because she had kind of just said to us, oh, these students really love art. We're like, yeah, cool. Like, we're happy just to be guided by you. But then there was a moment when um, one of the students in the group, when we were doing a reflection, um, said something really strong and poetic. I mean, one thing that really came across, which was a really surprising learning for me, was the importance of turning up. So that's something that I, I am someone who kind of lives by my word, you know what I mean? If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Um, but they were so surprised that we said we were going to come back and we came back. And that was like a really sad realization because it's like, oh my God, like this, this is not your normal experience. You're mm. used to having these kinds of empty promises. Um, but second of all, that we were occupying this kind of role that didn't 
didn't really kind of make sense to them. So it's like, we are fun and we look a little bit different, but we're not a teacher, but we're also not their sister. But then, you know what I mean? So it was like this interesting kind of engagement that you're having with an adult that maybe you haven't really had before as well. So a lot of the things that they were talking about that they really loved was like, being our friend, you know, like, oh, building a friendship with you and Bonnie has been my favorite thing that's happened. Um, and then Rochelle started crying. And, um, and then, like, we were packing up for the day and she said that, um, that one of these students who had said that had been having a really tough time at school and hadn't been coming. And since we kind of introduced the project, it was like a whole new reason to come to school. And so then I realized, and she actually then admitted to us that she was not just choosing kids that liked art. She was choosing kids that were having trouble fitting in or were not having a great time at the moment or there were other things going on in their worlds and they needed someone, um, they needed to be distracting themselves with something that they felt empowered by. Um, And so that was so beautiful because, yeah, it was nice not to have any of that you know, sometimes you need to know where the kid's story, where they're coming from, you know, but other times it's just maybe a surprise takeaway to just treat them as you would your mm-hmm. mate, you know, mm-hmm. and then they don't feel like they're being treated differently for whatever, whatever reason. For carrying histories that yeah. they've been labelled through or with. That's right, yeah. and that they notice that you are, you know, even if you're giving them more attention, you know, like it's coming from a good place, but it's not equitable, you know. Yeah. Um, this is interesting, you mentioned how they started showing up, although maybe they are not the kind of kids that like coming to school. And one of the things that came yesterday uh, by one of the children who was part of the performance, when we opened the question about flexible schedules in school, which was one of the things that you considered with children, mm. She said how if there was a flexibility in whether we come to school and what time we come to school that many kids wouldn't come to school because they don't like school or they don't want to come. Mm. And when this uh, child mentioned that, I was thinking, well, is, is that something that we need to you know, look at how do we change this excitement to actually come to school mm. by choice, not by torture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now that you're mentioning this um, process and, and, you know, the invitation to, to make school more fun or more yeah. friendly space is, is a huge part of this work as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and I mean, you know, I think schools are funny places because they're so guarded, so protected, you know, there's a lot of rules, it's not easy to work in schools, Um, but it's, and also, you know, it's an interesting thing just with educators and education, you know, like some educators are really open and expansive in their thinking that you're not going to have, like, expertise in every department, um, subject, etc. And Rochelle is very much of that mindset, but as a primary school teacher you are expected to have expertise in everything and so often it's very difficult to hand sort of power is a terrible word but you know what I mean welcome somebody else in and enable them to um yeah teach from their space of knowledge um but yeah like Rochelle was the whole way through talking about how grateful she was that these young people had access to myself Bonnie and Mish because these are not her like this is not her skill set and she's like without you guys here teaching them how to use film 
that's something that they just would not mm. know, you know? And so another thing that was really important to us when doing this project was also longevity. Like we can't be here forever. Yep. Um, how can this stuff live on? And so part of that was teaching the teachers, teaching Rochelle, mm -hmm. and also giving them a tech kit. So we gave them a kit of um, audio recorder, tripod, camera, mm -hmm. um, batteries, all the things that they need to be able to continue to do this mm -hmm. work because mm -hmm. it's all well and good to come and do a project for a couple of months. Yeah. But then if you have decided that you love that and then there's no capacity to continue doing that, then what, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, these are kind of things that just naturally emerge. Well, no, the, the tech kit was something that was part of the initial grant application. So the project was funded by Create New South Wales and Australia Council. Um, but that was always something that we were, we were thinking of from the beginning. It's like, yeah, you can embed these like, new ways of thinking or doing or radical pedagogies or whatever, but how can they carry forward? Mm -hmm. And it is often just having a teacher who is open and responsive and you're learning from her and she's learning from you. And hopefully that's where the greater shifts can happen mm. because she still is the one who has power and control mm. over that space mm. and decision-making power. Mm. Um, yeah, so you know, hopefully that's where the kind of the longer term change mm. or shift mm. can happen. Talking about this uh, changing of hierarchy of learning and this learning from both teachers but also t teachers learning from children and us as adults learning from children and from each other, the other learning income was also nature. Yeah. Uh, you considered how can nature be our teacher and animals mm. more than human entities. Mm. Can you speak to that a little bit, how that came about? Was it something that kids brought up or were you having that already in mind as developing a project? Mm. Uh, again, I would say yes and no. Like, I mean, I, I'm also, yeah, working at the Biennale of Sydney, um, curator of programs and learning there and the Waterhouse, that's really our ethos, yeah. <laughs> um, acknowledging the teacher in everything and everyone. And, and I think it's important to emphasise the teacher in that narrative as opposed to the learner because it again kind of shifts the power structure. So it talks about the fact that we all have knowledge to offer and share based on our life experience, but that knowledge can come from multiple sources and inputs. Um, I definitely think that I maybe refined the language around what they were saying, but they were the ones saying it. They just weren't saying it in that way. So like there was, you know, the real emphasis, you know, like, and as I said, we didn't go through all the principles and I, mean, I don't, maybe we don't need to, but like, there was, you know, the things that kept coming up were, yeah, this flexibility of, you know, starting your day, finishing your day whenever you like, or even just in terms of where and how you learn, um, being outside, like mm -hmm. being outside, being with your family and being with your pets. Mm -hmm. um, and so then that was then like that tied back into so many of these core principles, you know, like or even just the stories that they were sharing, like. You know, I think one of the students yesterday mentioned um, learning with her dad how to build a fence for the sheep. Um, but, you know, she would also say, like, each morning I'd go out and hang out with the sheep and, you know, and so, like, that 
that was just part of every single story that was being told. And so then it was like unpacking that further. It's like, okay, well, when we're hanging out with the sheep, what are some of the things that we're doing with the sheep? Or what are the, some of the things that, you know, we might be learning from the sheep or, mm-hmm. you know, and then they started to understand. And then I'm like, okay. And then you kind of built further. And it's like, well, it sounds like, yes, we learn from each other. We learn from our teacher, but that we're also learning a bunch by just being able to kind of be outside in the world mm-hmm. and engaging with different types of species or environments that aren't our friends and our families, you know, and our siblings. Um, Yeah, and so then that's kind of how I guess that narrative was really strong and embedded, but it was so central to everything that they were talking about. Mm. Let's go through more of those principles. The next Mm. one that I can see on the list is related to rest, and that's something that we've spent quite a a significant amount of time discussing yesterday yeah. the performance um, and, and just to explain the, the yesterday's performance was actually the moment where you invited public, us, the audience into the space mm. and some of those principles were translated into questions that yeah. children asked to the audience and we had this very democratic uh, conversation between adults and children listening to their needs and their opinions and us giving ours and it just felt like this very equitable space that you have created which mm-hmm. was beautiful. Thank you, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, the, the performance yesterday was like, yeah, this gifting of the, the school principles and then it opened up to an expansive conversation which was turning these principles into targeted questions for the Candace community and those visiting Cementa to ask why these things are not there. Um, and rest was, yeah, a real big one. Um, so the third principle is rest to encourage naps and breaks. Rest helps us focus. Rest is important. It helps you recharge. Um, and I think the really interesting thing that emerged yesterday through our conversation about rest was this need to think about... So then the, the question that was posed was, why is rest not a subject at school? And the interesting thing that then emerged from that was this idea that it's something that need, it needs to be learnt. It's not inherent. And that rest looks different for different people. And just because you know, someone doesn't look like they're resting the way that you want them to be resting doesn't mean that they're not doing it. Um, But I was really interested personally by this need to um, create a new structure or a new set of rules to kind of confine some of these ideas that are, you know, are expansive and are trying to resist and push back. But then we're trying to absorb this notion of rest as the subject back into the standardized curriculum and and how we understand outcomes and you know measurable assessment and like that kind of need to regulate something that is asking to be unregulated Mm -hmm. and embedding all of these rules when we don't even want rules in this space Mm. it was such an interesting process um yeah that there was this yeah i don't know i mean now just thinking about it in in the moment like this aversion to taking a risk like just do it and then think you know like rather than playing out the scenario and imagining all the terrible things that are going to happen all the things that you're not going to be able to fix do it see it then then figure it out you know like surely there's you know 15 minutes a day where you could decide that you're going to do rest and you can think about all the different ways that you could play with that you know it could be different every single day 
Because um, one of the things that emerged as well was that rest is not necessarily lying on your back or lying mm. on the floor and closing your eyes. Some children express that they rest when they, you know, play games or, um, you know, I was thinking maybe to have a dance, you know, 15 minutes of dance just to recharge yeah. and refresh could be also restful or have a slow walk or sit on a bench and observe, you know, birds or listen to the environment. Totally. So rest is individual as well. Yeah. And, um, and they, talk, they spoke a lot about music too, didn't they? I don't yeah. know if it was in relation to that question, but that, that was something that made them feel calm and centered. Yeah, that was the one where uh, the question was how to create space for others. Oh, and true. somebody mentioned how the music puts you in a certain mind where you mm. are more... I can't remember actually what was the yeah. context. Yeah. It was a nice um, you know, offering though, and it was an interesting yeah. thing to think about. Um, but yeah, I was really interested in the fact that as adults in the space who were like, you know, children were asking the questions and they were offering things up. But yeah, the natural urge was to think about how, how to regulate and how to actually make it a thing, but within the current system as we understand it now, which is not really what this project is about. It's reinventing a new system and a new set of rules. I mean, the main one that actually, um, I thought was very funny in terms of that similar type of narrative was this one around food. Yes. Why can't we eat when we're hungry? It's like the best, it's just the best question. It's so pointed, it's so ridiculous when you say it like that, you know? Um, but then all the reasons being like, they just feel so silly, like, oh, vermin in the classroom. It's like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> like we're, so we can't just eat when we want because there might be crumbs and then yeah. an animal might come here, you know? Um, or that it might be distracting yeah. or, and it's like, yes, but for who? And then that, that wonderful educator who's also, you know, here from the region saying that like, you know, as a, distra as a distractive child, I would have done that anyway, you know, but yeah. you're just enabling that kid to have a rest if they want and they can go and be somewhere and even if they're just eating to get out of doing yeah. what they're going to do. Yoranisa Radio 89.7 FM, listening to the conversation with Leah Smith, which I recorded yesterday morning in the reverberant Candace Scout Hall, where the project Future School was presented as part of the Cementa Festival. There was a slight glitch in our recording at this moment, and our recording stopped for a couple of minutes as I was responding to Leah's last thought with a comment that distraction, as we have learned from the same young regional educator that Leah just referred to, is not necessarily something that needs to be avoided or corrected. In other words, some children learn better when distracted, and not all children need to sit down with their spines erect in order to absorb information and knowledge. Some of us learn better when we are in motion, and at this point in our conversation, I refer to the wonderful internationally renowned advisor on education, Sir Ken Robinson, and his book, The Element. So here is the rest of my conversation with Leah Smith about her project, Future School, recorded yesterday at Cementa Festival in Candace on the Wurundjeri Country, airing now on Eastside FM. And I remembered uh, Ken Robinson, the educator, Ken Robinson, mm, mm. writing about this 
young dancer who was very fidgety in the school and she was sent to psychologist mm. to regulate her behavior and psychologist came out and said to parents it's all fine with her she just needs to move in mm. order to think mm. and she became one of the most famous ballerinas mm. in the world so she wow. was somebody who needed to use the body in order to think yeah which takes us actually to the fourth principle that I can see there and it's related to body and movement and one of the things that I really responded to seeing your work is how much of the interaction happened on the floor mm. rather than in the chairs mm. yeah all of it really I mean I think yeah I like to be on the ground I like circles you know it's we would always kind of meet in that way. Um, yeah, like this principal movement is this like learning not only at the desk. So one of the other things that the children were sort of reflecting on was when working from home, they could be at the kitchen table, they could be on their beds, they could be laying outside with their dog on the balcony, whatever, like there was flexibility in that and that was stimulating. Um, and so when we were on the ground, we also had this invitation to be however you wanted. You could be laying down, you could be sitting on a chair and that was, yeah, just, I don't know, the ability to choose, you know, like it's not a very comfortable situation to be sitting at a desk all day. And also in lines, you know, like you come back to this kind of hierarchical method of thinking about, you know, how information is shared and absorbed. And if you just have this standard classroom type structure where the person that has all the knowledge stands at the front and then you're all there to just kind yeah, of like... Hide. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the naughty kids are at the back and the nice kids are at the front. Like, it also just has this power play embedded Although into it. Although when you're naughty, you can also be placed at the front so you listen to That's better. right, so that you're seen. <laughs> it's like yeah, a punishment. You're on, you're on show, that's very true. But yeah, I mean, in the circle, no one can really escape, but there's also no pressure to do anything, you know, you can yeah. also just be there and, and listen, um, but yeah, you know, just be there in your own way. Mm. Mm. I'm just thinking of some of the other ones that I, I mean, yeah, slowness came up, like that was our seventh principle, and that was something that didn't become part of the gifting because it just became part of the process in its totality mm. but you know when they were talking about this desire to move slowly um, oh and, and I think what was interesting actually um, was that they sort of spoke about slowness as not only just about more like mindfulness so you can be moving slowly but not being slow and mm. you can be moving quickly but you can be slow mm. and I thought that was like a really higher level of thinking because just because you're moving yeah. slow doesn't mean you're paying more attention in the same way we were talking about before um, I read a I read a book recently called the slow spatial reader and uh, my favorite one of my yeah the opening scenario was amazing um, the editor Carolyn Strauss was talking about having two friends over cooking them a meal She's chopping a tomato quite furiously. And one friend says to her, um, you're a slow researcher and look at the way you cut that tomato. And her other friend says, yes, but you can be sure it's a slow tomato. And so talking about the growth of that thing as being far more significant than the action of then dissecting that yeah. thing, you know? And I'm like, oh, I, I love that. Cause it's like the work is already done. You know, yeah. it's here in this thing and yeah. It can be fast or slow at this point, but it's still been a slow generative process mm. that's birthed that object. Or... Mm. Mm. I'm curious in the process of developing this project, 
what were some of the main challenges that came for you and what were actually some of the challenges that you invited in, that you worked with? Mm. One of the biggest challenges was having so many collaborators and partners. Um, so initially, you know, we had the Shabin Mine, we had Cementa, we had the public school, we had me, Bonnie and Nish. It's a lot of people um, and a lot of schedules to try and accommodate. Um, we ended up, that was also part of the reason why letting go of the mine was actually really helpful because it meant less red tape. Um, another really is the rules of school, right? Mm. That, um, you know, you can only do this and this at this and this time and you, and then all of the permissions around, like we almost were unable to have a film that would show the children's faces. We had to write to the legal department at the Department of Education. We had to get um, advice from solicitors to write a, yeah, like a contract for parents to sign. All that stuff is really intimidating, you know, um, because this is a work of ours as well. We want permission to be able to show it again. Um, and so, with, that's what I mean. That, I, like without Rochelle, it wouldn't have happened. Um, I think we've had support from the school community broadly. Um, but there have been, yeah, a lot of challenges and things that felt like they could perhaps be resolved a little bit easier, you mm. know, but mm. without her just constantly um, pushing. And also my sister is a principal in Victoria, so I was asking her a lot of advice because I was like, surely this is not impossible, you know, like we want to have the children's faces in this film and if their parents are okay with it, then why are we not allowed to do that? Um, now yeah. that you mentioned parents, I was actually also wondering whether after this protest and after yesterday's performance, I assume some parents were here to mm. listen to their children and, yeah. and find out about the protest. Have they approached you? Have they given you any insight or any feedback of anything that shifted within their children mm. at home or anything as such? I think that most, it's, yeah, that has been a funny thing actually. I mean, to be honest, I was um, quite disappointed that the first two children who showed up, their parents left and didn't watch them perform. And I was really upset about that um, and had to just let it go. Um, and I think most of the parents sort of shared their feedback with Rochelle. So I don't know if we felt so accessible to them. Um, but also we didn't really know them, um, so that, that is interesting. Um, so a lot of the feedback, okay, the feedback was less about the performance and more about watching their children in that space, feeling like watching them with confidence, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like one of the, the children who was in the, um, the performance yesterday, um, their grandmother went up to Rochelle and was just so delighted um, because they are children who's sort of on the spectrum and can often have difficulty in front of groups, feeling confident to speak. And they were incredibly vocal yesterday. Um, and their grandmother was just like, unbelievable. Like, I've never seen them like that before, you know? So whether or not they like the work is kind of insignificant because it's probably, they probably don't, you know? Like, it's pretty, it's unusual for them to yeah. see this thing. Like, it's really pushing at the edge of what they think an artwork is, can be, looks like. Yeah. Um, but I would, yeah, I was so delighted to have those moments where they were really, really proud to see their child feeling mm. 
you know, like they had agency and like they were being listened to and that they could ask questions with a group of nearly 70 people at one point, you know, like it came and went. Um, those numbers didn't sort of sustain throughout the whole two hours, but there were a lot of people here yesterday watching them. Um, yeah, so I thought that was quite amazing. And I mean, there was also, um, yeah, I mean, this is less about the parents actually and more just coming back to the, the children, but we also had little codes yesterday when we were doing the public program because that was something that we were unable to really rehearse, right? Like, so responsive to the conversation in the room at that time. So if they didn't want to read their question or they were feeling nervous or whatever, they could signal to us and we would then kind of step in and read it for them. Um, but no one did that, you know, and so that was also really nice that like there was that kind of get out of jail free card, but no one felt the need to use it. Yeah. yeah. Did they approach you, the, the children after and said, uh, did, did you have a time to get our stories with them from yesterday and how it all felt for them to be listened to or did they feel listened to did they maybe yeah. that maybe adults actually again overtook the conversation and that there wasn't enough time and space given to them no I absolutely think that they did I mean I think the main feedback was like they were surprised again that people showed up that were like there were so many people here you know um, and that was really surprising um, because we didn't give them any numbers or expectations either. We had no idea how many people would come, you know, so it was more just like, yeah, there was no conversation about that. Um, they were, yeah, we were like, was it what you expected? And they were like, not really. We didn't really know what the program would look like, but they were really excited that, yeah, people were, like, talking to them. And caring. Yeah, in like, in, like an adult, you know, like mm -hmm. they were... There was real, I think, like you, like you said, there was real equity in the way that the conversation was being held with the children, them also interjecting, then kind of throwing out to a member of the public. I think the language, too, was just quite accessible. Like, sometimes there would be words maybe that were thrown around that they may not know what those definitions are. Um, but it was just, yeah, I think mindfully people, you know, still had a very, um, you know, it's oh, the word, like quite a political conversation you know it wasn't like it, those con the content was being simplified for a young audience yeah. but it was being shared in such a way that they too felt like that they could respond or add to mm. things that were being thrown out yeah. in the room that's another thing I've heard you once talk when you had a piece at Bankstone um, Art Centre for the Biennale and you spoke about the importance of creating a safe space for disagreement mm. and exchange of conflictual ideas or thoughts Mm. Um, because they exist in the world. We can't deny that there is, you know, always going to be agreement in the way that we interact with each other. So to create space where disagreement can be explored mm. in a nurturing way. A yeah. Way that includes listening and hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about disagreement in the context of this, this work. Um, you know, I... Maybe debate is the better word because yeah. there wasn't much disagreement yesterday. Yeah. No, I mean that's the thing. I was like thinking more. There was no. There was certainly there were other dynamics at play. So like with that with that project at Bankstown, it was disagreement because you know it it was political um, in nature. It was talking about um, you know creating a political party and then what would that look like and what do we care about. Um, and but in this context, it was more negotiating humans and relationships and making sure that the safe space was a space where no one felt left out 
mm. and that was really tricky at times because there are their own there are own there, there are things that are happening in the playground you know yeah. and those children were from you know year three to year six so they were they're not familiar with each other you know this is a new project that they're doing together they see each other in the playground but they've not worked together before so it was more about creating um, a dynamic in that same way where everyone still felt like they could speak and no one would be made to feel silly Mm. Um, and yeah and also within the context of the performance you know it's funny like you're working with young people you have boys and girls and they get nervous about touching each other or and we didn't want to put the boys together you know and we knew so little about you know the different um, characters and personalities of those in the room and so it was a bit of navigating with that as well like the pairs shifted a few times you know and that wasn't part of the deal but we also could just and we didn't want to we kind of really tried to be like we're moving in this direction but we also just knew it wasn't going to work yeah um and so you asked a question a moment ago about whether it was just those eight students it wasn't um they were all with us at least 50% of the sessions, uh-huh. um, but there were a couple of students who came and went, you know, like there was probably 12, I think, in the beginning, or 13, uh, 12, I think, um, and then some got COVID, one withdrew, you know, there was, yeah, a kid withdrew because art is painting, so they didn't, like, they didn't expect this when they showed up, you know, and they're like, oh, I don't want to do this, you know. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that flexibility and freedom had to be there as well. You know, yeah. it's not for everyone. And I guess that's also been interesting with our practices as well, like as collaborators, you know, I'm not a performer, you know, I don't always, I don't, I don't feel comfortable in a performance. So it would be funny when I could see that Bonnie would initiate an exercise and she would just think, cause she comes from doing theater and movement based practice with children who know that's what they're coming for and they usually do drama or something so they're confident and they want to do it I'm like Bonnie I wouldn't want to do that like you're working with a group now that think of this as an art project and don't think that they're being they have to perform Mm. so they're not all just going to want to do that so Mm. how do we make them feel more comfortable in their bodies Um, which is again another process to learn you know there was so much beautiful choreography yesterday. I really responded as somebody who comes from a dance background of how, first I was amazed how they remembered all the, all the movements mm. and, and there were a couple of boys doing this beautiful, gentle movement with their bodies and choreography. And I was thinking if it was introduced to them as a dance, as boys, young mm. boys, they would probably be very resistant to, yeah. to that kind of movement. But, you know, introducing the, the choreography movement to them in a different way was probably making it more accessible to... Because it, it was a dance, it was a choreography that they yeah. were acting. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, that comes down to... I was just thinking of the third word, because when I said that we played this game of, like, all the things that come to mind when you think of performance, and the words that made sense were, like, you know, live movement, um, time whatever and so we circle all the ones that like yes for this performance we will play with these things there won't be a beginning middle and end we won't have characters you know um but then same for film we're like okay well films also have this kind of narrative structure beginning Mm -hmm. middle and end protagonist whatever none of those things will be there Mm -hmm. um and we called the public program a manifesto so we had to then introduce what that meant Mm -hmm. and so um yeah so having those definitions like and that's something actually that it's the first time I've ever done something like that and I don't know where this idea really came from I think it's because in our own practices 
Bonnie and I are so um, obsessed with language at the moment because I don't really feel like any word... I don't, feel, I don't really think of myself as an artist. I don't really think of myself as an educator. Like, I'd rather just make a new word to define who I am and what I am doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you, how do you, um, when somebody asks you, what do you do, Leah? How do you introduce your practice? Yeah, it's, um, this is funny, actually, because um, I think this is going to be my PhD project. But, um, yeah, I often don't use an identity. I talk about discipline. So I'll say I work at the intersection of art and pedagogy. Um, and I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot because I, yeah, I think... I obviously adore artists and think they're such important people, um, but I also think there's a real problem with this kind of hero artist narrative, and I think that anyone at the edge of their practice is the person I'm interested in, you know? There's plenty of artists that I don't think are breaking new ground or doing really interesting work in the same way that there's plenty of educators who are not. Um, and so... Yeah, like when thinking even about different kind of shifts within the contemporary art world, um, you know, trans pedagogy, I'm a big fan of Pablo Helguera, but recently um, I realised what it is that doesn't really align for me with his theory, and it's that all of the projects that he talks about highlights are all education-based projects led by artists. And it's like, okay, but where are the other people? You know, like where is the education-based project led by a farmer? or an educator, you know, like, so there's this implicit hierarchy that is being embedded in that theory just based on who's being spoken about, you know, and, it, and sometimes it is a performative version of education, which he critiques, but then when he gives an example of a project, I would argue that that's what those projects are and that they're not actually embedding really kind of experimental, radical pedagogical approaches as they say they are. And then they also become a little bit like this work, really, This is the first time I've ever, I was talking to Bonnie about it this morning, the first time I've ever created an educational type project that um, is this object-based. Yeah. Yeah, so it lives as an installation and then it can be activated otherwise. Yes. Most of the work that I do is not based in the object. It's based in the encounter. Experience. Yes. Ephemeral in that space. Yeah. That was actually one of the questions I also wanted to ask is... What happens with this project now? Obviously, there is this kind of archive that mm. is there, and you mm. say, as you said, it could be exhibited in other places if if you ever wanted. But it's important for this kind of projects not to end here. But this is just the beginning, in a yeah. way, of what they are actually bringing into the world and to yeah. the, these children and to others. I agree. So, how do you continue it? I've In my recent practice, I mean, I think what I'm incredibly grateful for in the past year and a half is um, finding a job, so my job at the Biennale, as, you know, as being completely intertwined with my practice. So the work that I do at the Biennale is no different to the work I do as an independent practitioner. And I don't think many people have that. You know, I, I'm very aware of that I occupy a very lucky position. Um, And the one thing, though, that I've been really interested in, both in that role and my independent role, is frameworks. So creating frameworks for things that can be picked up and embedded by anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think of them, you know, people use terms like methodologies or approaches or whatever. I, I think I think of them more as frameworks because I, um, I think they need to be more responsive to 
place people's sight in that way. So flexible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we did the anti symposium at the Biennale, which was one of my favorite programs, um, I created the framework that was unpopulated by these three different pedagogues across three days. And so every day started with tea. We went into a guided reading or meditation, presentation, process based workshop, reflective strategy tea, oh, and lunch eaten together. And it was input by each pedagogue. And that was really important for me because it then, because I guess my other critique is that we often talk about creative learning, experimental radical pedagogy, and it's not modeled. But there's also not one way. So if you were to go and experience it, and then you're like, oh, well, that doesn't really work for me, then it's like, okay, I don't want to do that thing anymore. Whereas you have one structure populated by three different people. And then you can just build your own thing from that. It's like, oh, I like what you did that day and I like this mm. bit. And you create your own practice informed mm. by all this stuff that's just come your way. Mm. Um, and so similarly, like with this, you know, like I definitely think that we could, we have not yet done it, um, but there are really critical points in this process which allowed us to get to this type of outcome. Mm. And those definitions of the words is really critical, right? But they can be different every time. It was important to us that they, they, they were those things because that's who we are as practitioners. But the next theatre artist or dance maker who might go and collaborate with a filmmaker and someone else to do this thing would have a completely different definition of what that performance mm. could be or should be mm. in that context. Mm. Um, and I think that's exciting. So... Yeah, I would like to be able to think about the key aspects of this project, which I feel like would need to be there no matter what, but then enable that person to pick that up and to kind of work within those constraints, because I think limitations and constraints are important. Mm. There is a beautiful expression that says that limitations breed creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally, totally believe that. I think it's like, you know, super generic to say, but the, the white paper analogy, you know, you give someone a piece of paper, you tell them to draw something. It's the most intimidating thing in the world. You give them a piece of paper, you give them a constraint or a limitation. That's exciting. It's a challenge, you know, and you're like, again, you're pushing the edges of your imagination mm. to think of what you can do with this kind of, these conditions that have been imposed upon you. Yeah. I think we'll leave it there and put the rules back on the wall so those who are entering this space, <laughs> not, not the rules, the principles. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. So that was my conversation with Leah Smith, recorded yesterday morning at the Cementa Festival in Candace, Euronisa Radio 89.7 FM. And Leah and I were talking about her project Future School, which is a collaboration with Year 3 to Year 6 students at the Candace Public School in order to creatively reimagine what the schools of the future could look like based on what we have experienced them to be during the homeschooling period of the pandemic. And what is more, as we have just heard, Future School provides a framework on how to incorporate young voices into our planning and decision making and treat them as equal knowledge holders. Future School builds and develops young people's confidence while proposing somewhat different role and function the schools could have within the community. And to find out more about the Future School and follow its further developments, you can head to Leah Smith's website, which is leahsmith.com. That's double L-E-A-H-S-M-I-T-H dot com.